Once upon a time, there was a young shepherd, a boy after God's own heart. He went from tending sheep to leading armies, from wearing a sword to wearing a crown. He was one of history's greatest kings who committed one of history's most infamous murders. His rise built a kingdom. His fall would tear it apart. Well, good morning. It is good to be here. Are you guys happy to be at church this weekend? Good stuff. Awesome. Well, I'm glad that you are here too, especially the people in the back who are really excited and the people at the campuses who cheered real loud. I uh, want to welcome those of you at all of our campuses. I uh, mentioned the James Island campus uh, this weekend as well. Pastor Joey Svensson, great friend of mine and uh, incredible man of God. But we're glad to have you guys wherever you're joining us, one of our venues. Uh, my name is Josh Surratt and I'm one of the uh, pastors here, teaching pastors, also the campus pastor here at the Long Point campus. And really excited about the opportunity to share with you guys this weekend. Got a question for you. Have you ever had somebody in your life that you're pretty sure that the sole reason for their existence is to make your life miserable? Anybody had somebody like that in your life? Yep. Don't point. Just, yeah, raise your hand straight up in the air. Good. Good. Lisa and I had just moved into our first house. Uh, we've been married for a couple of years, had never really owned anything before. And Lisa was mowing the grass. I was probably doing the work of the ministry somewhere, uh, but she was out, out cutting the grass. And we didn't realize at the time that, you know, across the street from our house, there's a pond that's kind of an HOA area. And so she finished cutting our grass and then she went over there and started cutting the grass around the pond just because she thought that, that we were responsible for that. And this older man, uh, neighbor lived across the way from us, came out of his house and he stopped her and he said, you know, hey, you don't know you have to, did you know you don't have to mow that? So it's very nice of him to do that. And then he asked her a question. He said, so are you married? And she said, yeah, I am, in fact. And he said, yeah, I thought I had seen a guy coming and going um, in, in the driveway. But, um, and, and then he asked this question. So does your husband know how to mow the grass as well? Or do you just do that? Yeah. And so it was about that time that I realized this was going to be one of those men in my life. And, and so we had just, I mean, tried to be friendly to him, but he just... Time after time after time, we had these run-ins where he was taking shots at my man card and, and that kind of a deal. And then I get a, a phone call a couple years later from the gym that I work out at. And uh, so they called me and I figured it was going to be a typical, hey, haven't seen you in a while, everything okay, uh, kind of a phone call. But it wasn't one of those at all. They, they let me know that someone had found my keys and it had my little gym tag on it. And so this person brought it into the gym to find out whose it was. And when they found out whose it was, they opted to keep the keys and give the gym his address. So they were saying, you need to go by this guy's house to pick up your keys. Well, sure enough, it's my neighbor. And so, so I get to his door and, you know, ring the doorbell and he opens the door like kind of halfway, you know, like, I don't really want you in my house kind of a deal. And he's like, uh, hey, and I'm thinking he's got the upper hand. Maybe this is an opportunity to kind of go, hey, you know, you did something nice for me. I appreciate it. And, and so I said, hey, I heard you found my keys. I'm here to pick them up. And he said, uh, could you please give me a description of the keychain uh, that, that you're missing? And so I'm like, okay, yeah. It has you know, my key, my wife's key, my work key. There's a little fob, a little gym tag. And he goes, hang on one second. And he goes back into his house, about two minutes, just for suspense, I think. And then he comes back out and he goes, if that's the best description you can come up with, I don't think I have your keys. I'm like, dude, 
I live right there. You know, we, we see each other every day. You found the keys at the end of my driveway. The gym confirmed that they were my keys. And you're going to tell... And so I finally remembered that there was a little bike lock key on it. And so I told him that. And he said, okay, these must be yours. And he gave me the keys. So that's just an idea of the relationship that, that I had with this man. And you have people like that in your life as well, don't you? I mean, I'm sure you, some of you already have them at the forefront of your mind. You know exactly who I'm talking about. Maybe it's a roommate and you just never have really gotten along well with this person. Uh, maybe it is a teacher. I know there are a lot of students who are thanking God that school is out right now because you have a teacher in your life and they pretty much exist to keep you from ever getting a diploma or a degree or wherever you happen to be or graduating from the grade that you're in. Uh, it may be a boss, someone in authority in your life, and, and they've abused that position, and, and they're just, they exist to make your life miserable. I know there are many of you, it's an ex of the spouse that you're currently married to, and you would like to proceed with this marriage, but this person will not seem to disappear, and uh, is, is this causing problems in your life? So whoever that is, just kind of bring that to the forefront of your mind, because we're in a series right now called Rise and Fall. And we're studying the life of King David, and it's been really cool. Uh, the first week we, we studied how he was chosen as a young boy to become the next king of Israel. And then the next week we talked about the story of David and Goliath, and he had this incredible victory in battle. And then after that, we talked last week about uh, after he beat Goliath, he, he moved into the king's palace, and he became best friends with the king's son. And he's, he's beginning to experience what life like a king might be like. You know, he, he'd been prophesied over, he'd been uh, victorious in battle, he's, he's on, the, on the road to becoming a king. If you look at the, the first verse on your outline sheet, 1 Samuel 18.5, says, Whatever mission that Saul sent him on, David was so successful that Saul gave him a high rank in the army, and this pleased all the troops and Saul's officers as well. So I imagine, like, if it's a, if it's a relay race, you know, David's right there, he's, he's reaching out to grab the baton and all Saul has to do is hand it back and there's just a seamless transition for this guy to take over as king, all downhill from here, right? Actually, it's not because David happens to have someone in his life that we talked about earlier and it happens to be King Saul. King Saul exists to make David's life miserable and so we're gonna study this, this story, an incredible story in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 24. If you have your Bibles, you may wanna open it up. But before we jump into it, I just want to go ahead and tell you what, what we're going to learn today. Uh, we're going to learn that the legacy that we leave as Christ followers is going to be determined by how we handle the most difficult people in our life, not by how we handle the, most, the, the easiest people in our life. Because when we're dealing with difficult people, we learn a lot about what's inside of us. We learn about our character. And, and typically it's through those relationships that God is is changing us and developing, developing us to become the people that he's called us to be in. So, so how do we handle these difficult people? Let's dive into the story. I'm just going to read uh, the entire chapter of 1 Samuel 24. So if you have your Bibles, you may want to follow along. We'll have the screens, uh, the, the verses up on the screens. And then we're just going to pull about three principles out of this passage that will help us in handling those people in our lives. So let's dive in. Verse 1 says, After Saul had returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told... David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crag of, of the wild goats. So Saul's, Saul's hunting him down. He came to the sheep pens along the way and a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, this is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. 
Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So David's hiding out in a cave. Saul happens to show up in the same cave and David cuts off the corner of his robe. Afterward, David was conscience stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lift my hand against him for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, my Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lift my hand against my master because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. Now understand and recognize that I am not guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. So David kind of confronts him outside the cave and, and just lets him know that, hey, I had the chance to kill you, but, but I, I didn't do it. And then he says, against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom are you pursuing, a dead dog, a flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me of the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When a man finds his enemy, does he let him go away unharmed? May the Lord reward you for well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. So you kind of get the picture there. And by the way, Saul, you, know, you kind of notice in his, his tone, he wept. He, he apologized. And in fact, Saul apologized more than any other person in the Bible. But Saul never repented. And, and so there's a key difference between apologizing and repenting. But that's, that's kind of besides the, the point. But what, what can we learn from this, this story? Three things I think that we can learn from this interaction with David and Saul that will show us how to handle these difficult people in our lives. The first one is this. If your difficult person is dangerous, you probably need to give them some space. Look at verse one again. It says, after Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told David is in the desert of En Gedi. Why is David hiding in the desert? You know, last time we saw him, he was kicking off an internship in the, the king's palace. He was Things seem to be going very well. And now we see that he's hiding out in the desert. See, David's difficult person had gone from being difficult to being dangerous. You know, we all have difficult people in our lives, right? I mean, you know who they are. You, you, you deal with them all the time. And for David, Saul was one of those very difficult people early on. David's job was as a worship leader, basically, in the, in the palace. And so he would come in every morning and he would lead worship for Saul because Saul was tormented with, with spirits. 
And so you never knew what kind of mood he was going to be in. You know, when he got to work, David would show up and sometimes he was fine. Sometimes he was in this terrible mood. And so just a difficult environment to show up. Some of you work for that guy uh, right now. You know who I'm talking about. And, and so David would do that. And so it was difficult. But over time, David realized that the difficult person in his life had gone from difficult to dangerous. And it was pretty obvious for David because one day he was playing the, the harp. And uh, I don't think you play the harp like that. I don't know how that, that works. But so anyways, he's, he's playing and, and Saul all of a sudden gets extremely jealous and he throws a, a spear and tries to kill David. And so clue number one that your difficult person may be dangerous is if they try to take your life. Uh, so you can clue into that. But, but sometimes it happens in our lives. The difficult person in our life becomes dangerous. You know, it's when the constant fighting with the spouse turns physical and all of a sudden that person that you were so in love with when you walk down the aisle has become physically abusive towards you, maybe sexually abusive towards you or to your kids. And typically that spouse is the last person to realize that this person has become dangerous. And biblically, you need to get some space between you and them. You, know, you need to move out in the hopes of reconciliation, but you need to get some space between that person and you. Sometimes it could be a boyfriend or a girlfriend that, that doesn't share the same spiritual values that you have. And this relationship that you're in is becoming dangerous to your relationship with God. You've, you've noticed yourself drifting away from God because the person that you're in love with doesn't share the same values that you have. It may be the gossip at work, the person who lives on spreading bad news. Usually they're pretty good at embellishing it. And, and they may become dangerous to the work culture that you live in. If you're a, a boss or a supervisor or maybe a coworker, and you just need to put some space. I'm not saying cut them off, but maybe you want to put some space or at least address the issues when they come up. Could be the flirt. Maybe it's a coworker that you work with or it's someone who's in your circle of friends and the relationship has become kind of a flirtatious one and you're married and, and this relationship is potentially causing danger to your, your marriage. Maybe coming between you and a spouse. You need to put some space between that person. It may be the complainer in your life. You know, there's some people that no matter what the situation, they can find a way to complain about it. You know what I'm talking about? Stephen Furtick calls them the crap factory. No matter what you put in, that's what comes out. And so some of you know who I'm talking about. You just need to put some space between you and that person. I want to talk for a second about why, why people can become dangerous in our lives. And, and some of us are dealing with that person and some of us are in danger of becoming that person uh, to, to other people in our lives. Why, why do difficult people become dangerous? I just Looking at Saul, a couple of things I noticed about his life. The first thing is, Uncontrolled jealousy can make you dangerous. Uncontrolled jealousy. 1 Samuel 18, 6 through 9. This is right after David had killed Goliath. It says, When the men were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and timbrels and lyres. As they danced, they sang. And here's the song that they sang. Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. How many of you, that would be a little irritating if you're Saul? And so the Bible says that Saul was very angry. This refrain displeased him greatly. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands? What more can he get but the kingdom? And then it says, and from that time on, Saul kept a close eye on David. Some translations say he kept a jealous eye on David. So David's kicking some serious um, body parts in, in battle. You know, he's... he's, he's experiencing some victory and Saul becomes extremely jealous. So let me ask you this question. How do you handle it when someone close to you begins to experience victory in their life? 
Maybe a coworker gets a promotion. Or maybe it's someone that you're a peer with that kind of elevates because of something that happens in their life, gets you know, a financial windfall. How do you, how do you handle that? If, if the first response for you is jealousy, then it's a sign that you may be teetering on the edge of becoming dangerous. Another thing we see with Saul is unresolved anger. Unresolved anger. 1 Samuel 20 verse 30 says, Saul's anger flared up. And if you just follow his life, it never flared back down. He never got control over his anger. He never dealt with the emotions and the deep pain that he had that caused this anger to flare up in his life. So if you're dealing with uncontrolled anger uh, or unresolved anger, be careful because you may become dangerous in someone's life. Third thing is unconfirmed rumors. In this passage that we just read, verse 9, when David confronts Saul, here's what he says. Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? In other words, there are people in Saul's life who are talking. They're in his ear saying, hey, you heard about David? You know, he's got plans to overthrow you. He's got plans to take you out. And Saul began to believe these rumors and it caused him to become very dangerous in the life of David. So when your difficult person becomes dangerous, it's time to put some space between you and them. You know, for David, by the way, that was extremely inconvenient. You know, David had to move out of the palace And he spent the next five to ten years on the run, basically living from cave to cave, running from town to town, you know, no air conditioning, none of the luxuries that he had in the the palace. It was extremely inconvenient for him, but it also was very apparent that he needed to get some space between himself and Saul. So if you're in that place and and you know there's a dangerous person in your life and you know you need to put some space, chances are it's going to be inconvenient. You might have to move out. You might have to pick up two mortgage payments. You may have to have a very difficult conversation. You may have to change jobs. I don't know what that might look like for you, but chances are it will be inconvenient. But chances are you need to do whatever it takes to put some space between you and that person. So that's the first thing I think that we can learn from from the story. Second thing we can learn from, from David here. When you get the chance to retaliate, don't. When you get the chance to retaliate, don't. See, this is where the story gets interesting. David's been running from Saul for several years now. And Saul has become so desperate to catch him that he's enlisted the help of 3,000 young, able-bodied men who are in the military to help him find David. So this is an all-out manhunt going on. The Bible says that David was hiding in this region known as En Gedi, which is near the Dead Sea. And in this area, there are literally literally thousands of caves. And so David and his men are are on the run. It's a hot afternoon, super hot. And David, plus about 400 renegade men that he had picked up while he was kind of uh, being a fugitive, they decided to hide back in a cave. And Saul's after him. He's on a high-speed pursuit, 3,000 troops. He's searching for David, and he knows that David's in the vicinity. And then all of a sudden, something very ordinary happens to Saul. You're not going to believe what happened. If, if you don't think that the Bible is realistic, or maybe you've had someone tell you the Bible is, is just not realistic, have them read this passage. You're not going to believe what happened. Something very natural happens to Saul. In fact, let's look at it. Verse 3, a cave was there and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now, I don't know if you get that, but if you don't, you may want to circle the word relieve himself. You might say that the the living Bible says that that Saul went into a cave to take a biblical bathroom break. Mother Nature tapped him on the shoulder. and, And if you get the snapshot, you have the most powerful man in the world who now is in a vulnerable position He's got the Israeli Times in his, underneath his arm. He's going into this cave to take care of business. And then in the back, you have David and all of his renegade men that happen to be in the same cave. 
So, so if you imagine if you're David, I mean, he's in a game of hide and go seek and he happens to hide out in a great spot and then it becomes a porta potty. So it's a bad situation for, for David as well, but, but it's actually good because he's got an opportunity now to take him out. And so you'll have to read the whole story and con- it's just an incredible, we read it earlier, but study it. It's, it's really cool because David, you know, begins to sneak up on Saul. You can kind of imagine he's got the sword, the same sword that he used to kill Goliath and, and he begins to to walk up towards him and, and somehow he gets to him where Saul hasn't realized that he's there and he's getting ready to kill him. And I imagine that, that rushing through David's mind were thoughts like this, with one thrust of my sword, I could become the next king of Israel. No more running, no more sunburn, no more goat burgers. I mean, I'm, I'm ready to go. One, one thrust of the sword. And he's probably thinking about all the things that Saul had done to him. I mean, Saul had hurt this man deeply. Saul had slandered him he falsely accused him of things and and so david's coming up and he's thinking to himself all i have to do to become number one is kill the guy doing a number two i mean that's it all i gotta do is take him out all right enough bathroom humor that's just you know you gotta do it sometimes it's in the bible and so so then right before right before david can kill saul Something incredible happens. He does something that's so countercultural, so unique, yet so Holy Spirit driven. Instead of seeking revenge, David pulls back on the sword and he cuts a piece of Saul's robe off. And he takes it with him far back in the shadows. And then Saul exits the cave. And life goes on for David in this very inconvenient living in caves. And Saul goes back to being the king. He had his opportunity. You have all the caves in, the, in the, the, the area. God happens to deliver Saul right to his. All common sense would say, man, take this guy out. Yet David chooses to let him go. He chooses not to retaliate. See, there's a couple of problems with retaliation. The first one is just where, where does it end? I mean, where, where does retaliation end? When I grew up, you had the, uh, through the 90s, you had the East Coast hip-hop gangs and the west coast any of you guys remember that kind of rivalry going on you had tupac versus biggie smalls and here's here's a fact about both of those men is they're, they're both dead right now and many of their followers are as well because that's what happens with retaliation it never ends i mean david had his opportunity but if you just think about it david could have killed saul and he would have become king but then david's always looking over his shoulder because he's created a culture where the way you become king is to take out the current guy and so retaliation never ends. And David's also got a bunch of men watching him. And so he chose, instead of to retaliate, he chose to establish a culture where you honor the, the position of king, regardless of how it's going. And so David knew what he was doing. He knew that people were watching and he was able to establish that culture. And you know what? If you own a business or if you have kids or if you're a Christ follower and you have people in your life, they're watching you as well. And you have an opportunity. They're, they're gonna watch you, not necessarily when you're handling the easy people in your life, but when you're, you're angry and when you've been hurt and when you've been wronged and they're gonna watch how you respond to that and you have an opportunity to create a culture of honor as well. That's what David chooses to do. So retaliation never ends. I mean, it kind of creates this cycle. Another problem is that it's, it's not our job. Retaliation is not our job. See, I, I had this illustrated for me last week. I was fulfilling one of my biblical responsibilities as a father to train up a child in the way he should go. And so I was teaching Miles how to play the we. Uh, Super Mario Brothers. And so we're in the middle of a battle. We're getting ready to slay a dragon. And then Miles' little two-year-old sister, Greta Kate, kind of walked into the room and she picked up the remote control to the TV and she turned it off. 
Now, you can imagine it all broke loose at that point in our home. I mean, what, what are we going to do? She turned the TV off, and so we're scrambling. We're trying to find the remote, figure out what happened. And so we grabbed the remote, and we turned the TV back on. And while the TV was off, the game continued to be played. And so my son, Miles, his poor little guy, Luigi, fell into a pit and died. So this was a problem. And justice needed to be served. And so we were kind of talking it through. And I found out that Miles is kind of an Old Testament justice kind of a guy. And since Luigi had died, he felt like his sister needed to die as well. But fortunately for his sister and for me, justice was not Miles' job in that particular case. And so I decided to put her in some isolation time so we could continue our, our discipleship opportunity with the we and, uh, and things, things worked, worked out for both of our kids. But the truth is, as funny as that is, a lot of us are like Miles, aren't we? And I don't mean to belittle the pain that you've gone through because there are many of us that are here today and you've been wronged. There's somebody in your life, maybe they've been irresponsible with your heart and they've broken your heart. You know, maybe they've been irresponsible with your possessions. They've stolen from you. There are people in this room that there have been a per, there's a person in your life who's stolen something very important from you, maybe even a loved one. And, and so I understand that there are deep, deep wounds, but the truth is retaliation is not our job. It really isn't. It's God's job. In fact, look at the next verse on your outline sheet. It says that Romans 12, 19, do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. See, at some point, God is going to balance the scales. That's his job. All throughout the Bible, he talks about that's, that's what he's going to do. And thankfully, for those of us who are Christ followers, his solution to a lot of, lot of that was sending his son, Jesus Christ, to take our sin on him. And so he sees a perspective that we don't. And, and fortunately, all of us want revenge. All of us want justice. All of us want the scales to be balanced, except for in our own life, right? I mean, we want some grace when it comes to our struggles. And, and God has sent his son to die for us so that we don't have to pay for, for our sin. But even in light of that, he will balance the scales here on earth. And it's his job to do so. And, and the Bible says that, that he's a God of wrath. He, he's a God of justice. So that the part of you that wants to seek revenge, the part of you that wants to see justice served, I believe is, is of God. We're made in God's image. You know, so we, we desire justice, but it's not our job to do it. We're not equipped to do it well. So, so when you get the chance to retaliate, don't. Uh, it's, it's, it's not our job. And, and the, the first thing, obviously, was put some space between the person if they become dangerous. If you get the chance to retaliate, don't. Third thing I think we can learn from this story is that if you respect the position, God will take care of the promotion. If you respect the position, God will take care of the promotion. Look at the next verse, uh, verses 6 and 7 in the same passage. It says, He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. And with these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. See, David understood something that many of us struggle with. He understood that the position of king was established by God. See, God had his reasons for the time gap. I'm sure it was incredibly frustrating for David. I mean, he knows he's got this promise. He knows he has this dream. And there's this guy who's standing between him and that dream, and he has an opportunity to take him out. And I don't know why there was a delay, such a long delay, but God had his reasons for it. You know, maybe he, David wasn't quite ready. Maybe God was continuing to develop his character. 
maybe Saul, God desired Saul to have a change of heart or he wanted to do something in Saul in the process. Maybe the people weren't ready for a king that was so young as David. I don't know why there was such a delay in that. But, but God has, has had his reasons for that. David wasn't responsible for Saul's choices. He was responsible for his own actions. And he was responsible to show honor to this man, whether he was difficult or whether he was dangerous. He chose to show honor. Who do you have a hard time honoring in your life? See, God uses imperfect authority figures to shape our character. And that's the bigger issue. Whatever situation you're dealing with, your character being developed is the bigger issue than, than necessarily getting your way in the situation that you're in. See, could God trust David in a dark cave to do the right thing? You know, and, and, and he found out that he could. And I believe that it's because of that character, it's because of that trust that God chose to use David to do much greater things than anyone's ever done. What about you? Can God trust you to do the right thing when it comes to honoring a a person of authority in your life? It's not so much about the current reality as it is about the future possibilities. Because when we decide to honor authority, whether we believe in them, whether we respect them, whether we trust them or not, then we position ourselves to be used by God in great ways. See, God could promote David into future authority because he honored the one in present authority. Are there times to kind of stand out and and take a stand. Obviously there are, especially if you're in a place where authority is asking you to to violate your conscience or to sin. Obviously there are times that you do that. But as a general principle, we're to honor those who are put in authority. Does anybody here have trouble honoring the people in authority in your HOA? Some of you guys? Yeah. We've got a two-year-old, or he's four now, but he was two at the time. And we had gone to our neighborhood pool And we got to the pool and there was a 15-year-old lifeguard that greeted us at the gate. And they let us know that our son was no longer welcome at the pool because the neighborhood uh, HOA had a meeting and they decided that any child under the age of four was not going to be allowed to swim in our neighborhood swimming pool. Apparently there was an issue with uh, poop in the pool, uh, since that's the subject of the day. Um, (laughs) And so they decided that, you know, Uh, the way they were going to resolve this issue was they were going to ban any children under the age of four to go into the pool. And if you can imagine as a parent in the summertime, kids are out of school, that's a very inconvenient uh, decision. Not only for us who had a two-year-old, but any parent who has a a six, seven, eight-year-old and a younger child, that prevents them from being able to go to the pool as well. So naturally a revolt kind of rose up in the neighborhood and we were a part of it. And there was a meeting uh, that was called at the neighborhood clubhouse. And we showed up to this meeting, the place is packed out and, and the, the lines begin to be drawn. And you have the pro-poop in the pool people and you have the anti-poop in the pool people. And so we're battling it out and it got heated. People got kicked out. And one of our pastors, I was live tweeting the event and one of our pastors uh, texted me and said, hey, I'm on my way. Am I pro-poop or anti-poop? I'll fight either way. Just let me know who I'm, who I'm for. <laughs> And so it was, it was nuts, but, but the bottom line is it was really a, a crazy rule. I mean, it was a crazy resolution to this, this deal. And over time, they kind of figured it out. But I went home from that meeting, and, and I realized that my heart was, was awful. I mean, my heart was in the wrong place. As inconvenient as that was, I felt like God kind of spoke to me. And he said, is it really worth potentially limiting your ability to lead well because you're not willing to honor the current authority in your life? You know, see, David could pray with confidence and he could expect God to show up because he had acted honorably. And in that moment, I had to repent because my heart was not right. You know, I was that guy who was wanting to start writing letters and emails and, you know, I, it just began to eat away at me. And I had to, I had to repent and say, God, I want to 
I want to honor, it doesn't matter if it's a 15-year-old lifeguard or if it's an HOA person or if it's a boss it's hard to work for. It's my job to honor those people and to act in an honorable way towards them. See, David hadn't usurped God's authority. He, he didn't act like God. He patiently waited for God's timing. And David understood a principle that Paul explained later in Romans 13. And this is going to be a tough one for a lot of us, especially people my age or younger. We struggle with authority. In fact, why don't you just go ahead and say, ouch, with me. Can you say it? Ouch. That's what you're going to feel after you read this verse. Romans 13, 1 to 2. says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. You may want to circle the word no. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. All authority is established by God. That includes your HOA. That includes your teacher. That includes your kid's teacher. It's been frustrating you. That includes your boss. That includes your parent who may not be doing a great job right now. It includes a 15-year-old lifeguard at a pool. All authority is established by God, and it's our job to honor that and to respect that authority, regardless of whether we believe in them, regardless of whether we agree with the, the things that they're doing. You know, an HOA may be extremely inconvenient, but can you imagine your neighborhood without one? I mean, that guy with the yard ornaments could just be set free to do whatever he wants. You know who I'm talking about. And so, so there's reason for authority in our lives. Last verse in verse in First Samuel 24 says, Saul went home and David went to a stronghold. Saul resumed life as a king. David went on to live in the desert, live in caves, bounce from place to place when he had an opportunity to set, set things straight right then and there. It says, despite Saul's proclamation, David still didn't trust him, and that's for good reason. It wasn't like something changed there and David all of a sudden believed in Saul. He still didn't trust him. And Saul continued to try to take his life. But he had confidence that God was the one who's responsible for establishing his kingdom. And if God establishes it, he's going to defend it. If you establish it, you're always going to be looking over your shoulder. You're always going to have someone coming up behind you. If you're the one who's responsible for your promotion, then it's going to always take striving. It's always going to take hard work uh, to keep it going. And, and, and the Bible says that God is the one who establishes that. Our job is to respect the people and authority in our lives. So that's, that's the story. You know, a uh, couple of applications. One of uh, is obviously if, if there's a dangerous person in your life, you've got to move. And I understand that's difficult. That's going to be a small number of people that are here today. But that's, that's going to be the most critical move for you is to just put some space between you and that person. Some of us have been hurt. We've experienced deep pain. And, and you're going to have the opportunity to retaliate. You're going to have that moment where you can say just the right thing to tear that person down. You're going to have that moment to, to seek revenge. And, and when you have that opportunity, decide in your heart today that you're not going to do it. You're going to allow God to be the one who balances the scales, who rights the wrongs. And then there are many of us who are here today and we're struggling with a person of authority in our life. And, and God's calling you to respect that position. You, know, you may have to put space between you and them, but to respect that position regardless of what it takes. And, and to let him be the one who establishes authority and, and to serve and be submit, submitted under that. So would you guys join me in, in prayer? God, I just want to thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the incredible life of David. And there's so much in there that we can learn from. And God, today I just want to pray for those of us that are here today. And, and it's really not about dealing with difficult people as much as it is about 
what those difficult people reveal inside of us. And Lord, there are many of us that have been here today and you've just brought conviction. Maybe there's an area of unforgiveness in our heart. And God, I just pray that we would respond to you by being willing to forgive, being willing to trust you to right the wrongs, trust you to bring justice where there's been injustice, trust you to heal the the wounds that have just cut us deeply. Lord, there are some of us here today and maybe we are teetering on the edge of becoming dangerous. Maybe there's an issue of jealousy going on in our heart. Maybe there's an issue of anger that we're struggling with, God, and and we just want to give that to you today. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who has forgiven us. You're a God who's experienced deep hurt. And so it's not like you're sitting from afar, not aware of the struggles that we're going through, but but you're willing to take that on yourself, Lord, and and to set us free from the anger, from the rage, from, Lord, the, the jealousy that's been weighing us down. And I just pray that you would do that. Lord, for the person that's here today who's struggling with the person of authority in their life, Lord, we just give that to you. Lord, and I know it doesn't happen overnight, and I'm not saying that our situation is going to change all of a sudden tomorrow, God, but we we want our hearts to change. Lord, we want to continue to be developed into the men and women that you've called us to be because the legacy that we leave is going to be be determined by how we treat those people in our life. So, God, we submit it to you and, and just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.